Um, so this morning is a little different than normal. We're kind of an experiment. Um, I asked Walt and Guy um, to come to talk about some of the ministries that they're involved with to kind of give some exposure to what the body of Christ is doing in our community. Um, you know, Walt is involved with Next Step, and Guy's involved with lots of things, including the Las Vegas Rescue Mission. Um, and I um, have been involved with Hope Christian Health Center for um, several years now. So um, we're going to kind of just do it as a panel discussion. Um, I'll have them kind of describe the ministry, how they got involved, um, some of the challenges that they see. But I would encourage you, if you have questions for any of us in particular or for all of us, to um, raise those questions. So, um, Ed, would you open us in prayer? Walt, do you want to start with describing what Next Step is and uh, what you step, do there? Yep. Next Step Ministries is an outreach ministry to uh, the community that we've been doing for 13 years, and it's an outreach to the homeless and under-resourced. Um, we mainly see homeless men, drug addicts, alcoholics, uh, mentally ill. And, uh, we go out, we feed a meal, uh, breakfast, or uh, we do it three times a week. There's a breakfast on Thursdays at Sunset Park, and then a dinner at Russell Road and Boulder Highway on Tuesdays and Saturdays. And uh, everyone there that comes to that outreach is required to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, it's not just a feeding and they can leave. Uh, they are required to listen to the message. So we made it, like I said, 13 years. Guy, you want to tell us about your activities? <laughs> um, Let's see, I was introduced to the Las Vegas Rescue Mission by Doc Owensby. How many remember Doc Owensby? I do. <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> um, I uh, had the opportunity to ask him, you know, what do you do now that you're retired? And so he, he introduced me to the Rescue Mission. He uh, worked there a couple days a week as the physician. And... Um, it was kind of a slow love affair that began after that. And first, I started volunteering in the kitchen, and uh, it escalated from there. But let me tell you about the Rescue Mission versus my story with it. Rescue Mission was founded 48 years ago by uh, a pastor who felt God's calling out of the Midwest to come minister to the homeless, and he started serving uh, sandwiches with the New Testament Bible on the corner of H and Bonanza. Uh, Rescue Mission today is on uh, four acres of land. They feed 1,000 meals a day. They have uh, several programs that they're involved in. They have one, uh, they're a homeless shelter. And uh, this time of year, especially as the winter hits, the homeless shelter fills up pretty rapidly. Homeless shelter shelters men, it shelters women, it shelters men with children, and it shelters women with children. Uh, 
at any given time, there's approximately 100 to 150 people staying in the overnight dorm alone. They also have an addiction recovery program where they have up to 125 residents that live on premise who uh, are battling with addictions, and uh, that's a 12 to a 16-month program. Uh, it's a gospel-centered program. And it's, it's geared towards not only helping uh, those that are there with addictions to find sobriety, but also, more importantly, uh, to find Jesus. And uh, at, the more I saw that culture, the more uh, attractive it became. And I can list all the things I do there, but there's a, when we get to the opportunity section, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, so the the ministry that I the other ministry that I'm kind of involved with is uh, Hope Christian Health Center, which is a um, Christian federally qualified health center in North Las Vegas, and it's been <clears throat> in operation for about five years, I guess. Um, is about when I got involved, right as they first opened their doors. Um, but it's the story of the center itself is that. Um, it was started by a group of people that were at um, Citywide Redeemer, the other Presbyterian church in town that um, recently um, had to close their doors. But um, it was a group of doctors that had been doing uh, missions, uh, medical missions to, I, I think, uh, Haiti um, or Dominican Republic. And they realized the need that they had in their own city. And so they had the idea to start a uh, health clinic that was a primary care clinic in which the uh, gospel was very front and center, in which, you know, people are offered to, um, you know, pray with you or um, just having a staff that is committed to the gospel. And so... Um, you know, they've, there have been lots of ups and downs over the years. Uh, you know, they're in part dependent on some federal funding. And so, um, you know, I've been involved through a lot of that. Uh, but um, it's pretty cool. They just reached their, last month they reached their target of unique patients. And I think it was like 3,500. I may be getting the number wrong. Anyway, unique patients that they've seen in a year, which is just really cool to see the exposure of, you know, seeing people who are really motivated by showing the love of Christ to individuals that have needs. And particularly in this city, it's a very uh, medically underserved, so there's a great opportunity for Christians to kind of fill that gap. So I also asked Greg to join us um, to kind of talk a little bit about what the diaconate does. I think that lots of times we don't really um, necessarily know kind of what they're doing um, in, in serving people in the church and outside of the church. So I wanted him to also share a little bit. And then, uh, then I want to kind of ask how, um, at least as to the ministries that the three of us are talking about, how we got involved, what motivated us to uh, really get um, interested and plugged into those particular ministries. So, Greg, do you want to sure, kind of so, give a description? Um, of... Kind of as a representative of the diaconate, uh, Walt's also on the diaconate, and um, there are six of us. And 
we are have several jobs within the church. I think one of the things that, as an outlook to where we want to go, um, we want to be there to not only serve but to educate, to encourage other members in the community of Spring Meadows to serve as well, because um, there are a lot of needs, and many people already serve. This church is amazing, and so it's like as a diaconate, as a deacon, I feel we're pretty blessed just because of we have many hands in this church already serving in so many ways. Um, one of the other things that you see every month is our the Benevolence Fund offering, and uh, that gets used um, in several different ways, uh, but most of it currently is serving the needs within our church. Um, there are members in our church that may have financial needs, um, whether it's as small as paying a, a, a doctor's bill to uh, sometimes uh, leaning completely on the church for all their financial needs for a certain month. Um, it can uh, vary for time to time we go in spurts where um, you know those needs are diminished pretty uh, low and then sometimes we get hit with a truck and, and so we don't know month to month what's going to happen but I think uh, one of the things is we're always trying to be prepared um, when those needs do come up um, it's it's never fun for for the people who are in that situation so um, I think it's our our duty and our calling to be there for who, whomever is in need to comfort them, to help them, encourage them, pray for them, and remind them of the gospel. Because you know, I think I think the biggest thing that I'm always reminded of is when when we're in need, we don't feel like we're worthy, and that's the antithesis of the gospel. We are worthy because Christ died for us. And I think that's that's something that is always on the back of my mind when we're serving and offering people help. Um, and I think that's something that, uh, that we're blessed by. You know, um, I've had some great conversations with some great men about this. And, you know, if we're in a situation where we're in need, we're robbing those who can help us of the blessing that they receive. And we're both recipients of God's blessing in that time. So I think that's that's really one of the outlooks of, of the diaconate when it comes to those needs being met. Thank you. Um, so I guess the next thing is how we got involved in what we're doing and what kind of drew us to those ministries. I'll, I'll start. Probably like lots of people, you kind of initially get involved because someone twists your arm and says, hey, we need some help, and will you, you know, come to a meeting? And so for me, it was, I think it was actually Philip Glassmeyer, who was the pastor of Citywide um, at the time, and was also on the board. Um, they needed some legal help. And so I said, oh, hey, I can, uh, you know, offer to do some legal work for you. And then, you know, Probably six weeks later, I'm on the board and um, have now served as chairman of the board for a year and in various positions in the in the ministry. But I, I will say, what really attracted me to it was 
was just that very genuine commitment to offer like real love to people, like real, um, you know, rubber meets the road, you know, taking care of people's practical needs out of a motivation of loving Jesus and wanting to show them the love of Jesus. So um, for me, it's been very exciting to see, um, you know, an organization, I've been kind of surprised, you know, interacting with like having to get government funding and stuff and interacting with inspectors coming in our clinic and talking to them and really how receptive they have been to our very clear Christian identity and that that is I mean they recognize that they need help like you know even if they're providing funding they need people that have a heart for what is being done and you know our motivation may be different than other health clinics but um, I, I've seen, uh, you know, a lot of love for people demonstrated um, in that work. So that's kind of what drew me to that and has kept me involved for the last five years or so. Um, well, as I mentioned, Doc Owensby introduced me to the rescue mission. But what really, um, what really introduced me was uh, the journey the Lord had me on and um, I was one of those people who could easily walk past a homeless person and I didn't see them. And, um, you know, I even admitted to our elders in an elders meeting over a decade ago about the fact that I had less compassion on a homeless person than I did a stray dog. And, um, but God dealt with my heart. And he, uh, he put me in a situation where, had it not been for the generosity of this church, I would have been homeless. We are very privileged here to uh, have a loving congregation that takes care of people in need. And after experiencing that, God did a complete heart surgery on me. And I have the opportunity and the blessing to work with homeless people on a regular basis. They're no different than you and I. They're just sometimes just one paycheck away from homelessness. Uh, Las Vegas has a statistic they like, the city likes to say that we have about 2,000 homeless people in the city, but the real number is over 30,000. We have 30,000 people in our city that are uh, called. food, um, I forget the name of it, but anyway, uh, basically their condition is is there's not enough money to have housing and food. Food insecure is the name, what they call that. And so what happens is they get their, their disability check or their welfare check, and about two or three weeks into the month, they have to make a decision. Are they going to live on the streets and have meals, or are they going to have a roof over their head and starve? And, and so the last week uh, of every month, uh, the rescue mission is very, very full. And um, so I got drawn into this gospel culture that I saw taking place at the mission. What has drawn me deeper and deeper into it, it has been the opportunity to uh, share the love of Jesus with literally thousands of people. And uh, I see it as a, a target-rich environment for the gospel. 
very, uh, very um, receptive audience uh, to God's Word, and um, so it's uh, it's really a delight to serve there. Um, I've served in many capacities, and there's a lot of opportunities there. Um, I have served meals there, and that's kind of fun. But my great my greatest joy is mentoring there, and they have a mentorship program mentoring uh, the the people who are in the addiction recovery program, and that's an opportunity to help people put their life back together. And most, and we know the only way to put your life back together to where it's lasting is introducing them and, and discipling them in the gospel. And um, it's, uh, that's very compelling, and selfishly, uh, it brings great satisfaction to my soul. Uh, um, first of all, um, Dr. Hill is my doctor. That's probably the best place I've ever been to have been doctors. There's general care there and concern for your health. That's a great place. I, I love going there. I think Dr. Hill's all of our doctors. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's, uh, we're, we're some of those unique people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've never had experienced that uh, concern, general concern for your health like that. It's a good place. Uh, I got involved in a ministry as it was placed on my heart. Um, I was blinded homeless, much like a guy was saying. And uh, after I was saved, I was driving around going, why isn't anybody doing anything about this, you know? And immediately goes, yeah, why aren't you? <laughs> and um, so I just uh, got involved in a volunteer meeting at a church I was going to, and one thing ended up leading to another, and um, broke apart from the church, ended up I didn't know what a nonprofit was, what a 501c was, and God brought all these wonderful people in my life and developed the ministry and the legal aspects of it and um, started serving out in the parks. The one park that we've been to has been there for uh, 13 years, and Sunset Park's been eight years. Um, and the need is great. Uh, one of the biggest things that the people that don't understand the homeless is, I always hear, is why don't they just go get a job? And every time somebody says that to me, I always want to ask them, why don't you come on out and uh, show which one you want to hire. You know, the guy that tells me all the stars are Federation 17 pilots that are trying to attack the Earth, um, people that are strung out on crystal meth. I mean, who are you going to hire? And it's the message of Jesus Christ that's going to change their lives, you know. Um, I used to think in the very beginning, 13 years ago, it's going to be great, we'll get people off the streets, but that's not my motivation anymore. It's that they get a meal and they get to hear the truth about God and um, hopefully repent in turn. We have a, we've had a great relationship with the mission when uh, Jeff Chavez was, was operating it. I was able to bring people there immediately, which is pretty cool because when somebody says, you know, I can't get in anywhere and nobody's going to help me, I said, I'll take you right now. I call up Jeff. Jeff says, yeah, and we get a place to stay and it was a great relationship. We had money at the time and stuff. So I was involved in the mission for about seven years. Um, but we're at right there, at, you know, at the foot where people are at, you know, um, see families. You know, last uh, Thursday there was a young lady, mom, who brought in about four or five of her kids. They looked like they were all under the age of six um, getting breakfast. You know, uh, I'm just trying to figure out why they weren't in school. But, uh they're hearing the message of Jesus Christ, and they're getting a meal. There's various reasons why people can't afford it, you know. Um, some people would say, why don't they get off of drugs? As a drug addict myself for 25 years, I go, it's a lot easier said than done, you know. 
it's not for the message of Christ, that's where I would be at. Mm-hmm. That's all I got about. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you guys see in your uh, involvement in these ministries? I think this would pertain to what the deacons do as well. Um, so uh, what, what are kind of the, um, yeah, I guess just the biggest challenges that you guys have in, in your work in these ministries? Sure. Um, well, I, some of the biggest challenges are the mistakes that we make are, as diaconate. Um, when we have reached out to um, people in need outside of our church, it's often hard to decipher what's yes. truth and what's lie. And it can be very difficult to separate the emotions, not only theirs, but mine and ours, and trying to weigh and judge that. Um, when we have uh, needs within our church, um, it can be very difficult because, you know, we are members of the body of Christ together, and it goes beyond just being able to financially assist them. How can we reach out to educate them in ways that can help them maybe budget better financially um, and it's not always uh, based upon a mistake you know that that becomes messy because it's something that even in my own personal life trying to figure out what I can do to prepare for the next month and the next month and the next month or work doesn't come in as much as I had hoped it to you know I have a job that really is it's week to week in one sense and God's been so faithful in providing for me, but I have a job that's uh, it's 100% commission, and if I don't get a call coming in, and so I'm in a position that can I can really understand their needs because if I don't plan ahead and if I don't store up, so to speak, um, it can get messy really quick. And so, you know, you have to to really judge. And weigh the situation one by one. I think, yes. Is is your ministry limited to people in this church, or do you? I know we we don't have the classic thing where people come up to the church and I'm hungry and I'm cold and can you help me because we don't have the church building. But uh, do you reach out? So we do. We have in the past. Um, I currently where I right now in the state we're, we're restricting it just to the members of the church just because of um, the amount of money that we have stored up in the diaconate fund and the benevolence fund um, because if we were to over extend our finances in that from that benevolence fund but you concentrate um, on church members we concentrate first on church members yes or people that are yeah. we do um we all have packets, actually, that, you know, we all have some bus passes in the car, and we all have some things to help point people to um, places that are uh, within the city, like the Rescue Mission, um, even the Next Step Ministries is on there. And so uh, we can not just help those people financially, but we try to help 
and point them in the right direction for places that, you know, if they need shelter, if they need food, they need those things. Government's supported stuff as well. Uh, but for the most part, we definitely, right now, are just serving our church and their needs. Well, what are the challenges that you guys have? Finances. <clears throat> Costs $400 a week to do the outreaches, so money's always an issue. It takes money to feed people. It takes money to get out there. Um, the challenges from the guests. One of the uh, blessings and cursings is, is being a drug addict and alcoholic is that um, I know all the BS stories. So um, I've heard them all. And what's interesting is being out there for so long, you see the new generation of the kids that are mostly addicted to heroin right now and some crystal meth coming up to like 20, in their early 20s, and they're telling me the same garbage that I said some 30 years ago. It's the same story over and over. So they can't really get it over on me you know, when they're trying to con you and stuff. You know, I've heard it. Um, but uh, the, uh, the mental health state issues are... Sometimes they really get to me because there are people that are, I mean, really lost, you know, I mean, truly, truly lost. They believe what they're telling you is factual, and that's their perspective on their life. And that's when I know that it's only in the gospel that's going to change them. It's, that's why it's important that they stay and listen to the message. Yeah. I couldn't hear you. What do you do with the people on the street with well, you know, it's all up to individuals. Um, I know where most of that money goes to. I mean, I know a guy who had a $3,000 a week heroin habit, and he said on Rainbow and Spring Mountains how he gets paid. So I, that's in the circle that I know, because I have been told differently, but in the circle I know, that's where most of those people are getting their money for their habits. I would encourage the donations to go to the nonprofits. Um, you know, I've asked people on the street corners, do you really want help, you know? Or when I was in Fremont Street walking around and people are saying I'm hungry, I said, oh, I'll take you to Michigan, get something to eat. And the response immediately was, no, okay, I'm all right. Uh, yeah, Tim, Tim. Uh, you talk about getting common. Uh, I have been common. Uh, I moved here in 1988 to start the church. And in 1989, I got a phone call from a guy I knew. He was in one of the hotels downtown. He needed bus fare. So he said, I want to have my pastor at Prince Edward Island call you. He's a Presbyterian church planner. He will call him. So he called and says, would you please help? He's a member of our church. He's decided he's repented. He's like a prodigal coming home. Could you come? So I went downtown, and I met him at Benyon's, one of the downtown facilities, and I gave him money. Instead of buying the bus pass, I gave him money. Okay, so they take the money. I go back home. I get a phone call the next day from our denomination warning me about a scam taking place. And I said, I just got taken by that scam. <laughs> but in my heart, I did it to serve the Lord yeah. because I loved Him. And in one respect, you do need, and I understand from listening to all of you, that you can, you've heard the stories before. But that doesn't mean that just because somebody scams you, everything is a loss. It's not. Yeah, that's a, that's why I said it's always up to the individual and where you give that money to. But uh, yeah, and may God use it to glorify His kingdom. So. Yeah. Yeah, Barbara. Um, many years ago, 
Terry and I were at a McDonald's having a cup of coffee, and a young man was asking for money. And he, he ended up sitting down for quite a while and sharing his journey. And I think he'd fallen ill and so forth. And he shared with us the difficulty and how, what he was going through to get off the street. I never forgot that. And is, in these ministries that both of you represent, is there any process, any place you direct them to for legit, true, their, <clears throat> the gospel is the only thing that will really turn it around. But there are people that in the past that legitimately want to get off the street to work, to provide for themselves. And I've never heard of any uh, availability, really, of any. Well, I have a, also bring out resources with me. Anybody, to, I always mention it before we start our preaching. If you're looking for help to get off the streets, I have resources with me. Mission's on one of them. Help of Southern Nevada is a place that fills that gap, I think, uh, for people that have uh, 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 felonies. Is Hope, of, Hope for Prisoners. It's an excellent program. If you complete their program, you're guaranteed to go to work. So there are places out there, you, but you have to go through the uh, process of going through it. And sometimes that could be lengthy, tedious, and it's, it's, um, it's a lot. It's in, sometimes people just don't want to do it. They don't want to go through the program. They don't want to take the time. They just want to get instant gratification or instant, instantly inside, and it just doesn't work that way. There's a, there's a, a good statistics that are being kept on, on how many families families are on a waiting list for housing uh, there's over a thousand families on a waiting list in Las Vegas for housing um, the number one cause for homelessness happens to be the lack of available ho housing low-cost housing that's the number one reason and and Las Vegas where we are seeing rents increase and yet not seeing wages increase proportionately, we can expect to see more and more homelessness. Now, um, you know, I don't know the statistics, and this might not be true, but I, I believe there's a high percentage of people who end up homeless, being homeless because they can't find affordable housing. They don't have mental illness issues. They don't have drug issues. But over a period of time of being on the street, that's where they turn. They turn to the drugs to deaden the pain, long-term exposure, uh, isolation, drug abuse, then leads to mental illness. I know that's not the case 100%, but more and more so. And so um, there's more uh, demand for housing than there is low-cost housing today, and that's, that's really the biggest issue. At the rescue mission, we provide, uh, as someone comes through our program, we provide transitional housing for them for a period of time to where they can go out, work a full-time job, save their money, and be able to use that for uh, down payment, uh, or not down payment, but first and last uh, month's rent, and uh, so that they can get out and get on their feet. But even then, when they go out and take a, a full-time job, and uh, are able to get housing, most of the time the 
housing that they can get is in the drug-infested neighborhood that they're trying to avoid, or they have if they want a better neighborhood, then they bunk up with a roommate who ends up having problems. And so um, it's, a, it's a very complex issue. It's a big problem. Um, I recently visited Skid Row in, in Los Angeles. They have 60,000 homeless people there. And um, that's coming here. That's coming here. If you go, go back to the, speaking of housing, if you go back to the war on poverty and <coughs> stuff, most of the government-funded housing stuff, you know, maybe I'm misinformed, but it seems like it was a failure. I mean, they had these huge buildings they built in Chicago, and they just became more, and they were for people that were poor, and, and, and they just became a huge quantity. They just tore them all down. So how, how, do, you, how do you take you know, housing and, and these people and make them responsible enough to, to respect the housing, I, I, you know. I, again, it's, it's uh, that's a complex social issue, and um, I think it requires outside Christian organizations involved mm -hmm. and not the government involved. Everything I've seen that the government does, they throw money at it, and the issues that these people deal with are, are true social issues. I, I, I agree. They're, it seems yeah. that all, all of the, the government programs, <clears throat> and, and I'm not real knowledgeable, you know, I see what I, on the news and what I read there, but it seems that most of the, the government-sponsored programs don't work. Right. Yeah. I, um, the challenges that I'll just say about the health clinic, and I'll actually, it's probably a good segue in that that's an area where the government-sponsored programs seem to be quite effective. FQHCs are the largest network of primary care providers in the country. Um, they're mostly independent clinics like ours. Um, and, you know, ours is unique in that it's Christian. Um, but I think that the, the challenges that we face... Um, there's an aspect of it that is financial, you know, and my involvement with the clinic where we've had, you know, government funding and not, you know, I've had, you know, we've been on the wrong side of the IRS a couple times. We've, you know, went from having a full staff to having one volunteer from one week to the next back to having, now we have two locations and pretty secure funding situation. But so that's always, you know, a little bit tenuous when you're a nonprofit. Um, I would say that probably the biggest challenge, though, that we recognize is the opportunity for mission drift um, in our organization. So are we keeping, yeah, so are we keeping our commitment, our, our mission being, you know, gospel centrality in our work? Um, is that remaining central to what we're doing? Are we just kind of drifting from that and just focusing on the day-to-day you know, things that don't re really make us any distinct from, you know, there are, there are other FQHCs in this city. There's other health clinics. We're the only Christian one. And so is our Christian identity, our Christian mission, being remaining central to what we're doing? So one of the ways that we do that, you know, we have um, 
someone will give a devotion before every board meeting. You know, we have, uh, we routinely go back and go through our mission and vision and value statement about what we're committed to and why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and sometimes it takes hard decisions to be, uh, to say, you know what, this is a really good person that may want to work here, but they don't have the same commitment that we do. They're not, they're not Christians, you know, and, or they're not, uh, they don't have the level of commitment that we think is appropriate. And so you have to move on from someone that may be otherwise really good. Um, but what is more important is, you know, that we are committed to the gospel and that we're doing what we're doing. Uh, because of that. So um, that's one of the challenges I think that, um, you know, probably any Christian organization uh, that's doing uh, work in the community can probably identify with too. So um, what are some of the biggest opportunities? I guess we're, well, we're pretty much out of time. Um, Quickly, you know, opportunities or what people can do um, to be involved or how you would encourage people based off of, kind of the involvement that you've had in your ministries. Yeah, I, I really believe that one of the greatest things this church body can offer an organization like the Rescue Mission or others like the Rescue Mission is uh, participate in the mentoring programs. We have, uh, we live in a city where Christianity is an inch deep and a mile wide. And, and um, these people, many of them come to Christ, but they are being led or misled by uh, so, you know, people who are well-intentioned. And so I, I believe that what we can bring to the rescue mission is uh, people who would a- actively disciple and mentor um, some of their residents. Yeah, we can always use volunteers at the ministry, that's for sure. And um, like I said, uh, it is just talking with people. It is getting to know people. It's, it's your um, Christian worldview that uh, needs to be implemented in their lives in the community. Uh, that's really what's missing. So you have these people that are desperate need, you know, they have drug problems, mental problems, money problems, etc. And they need something, so you protect Christianity. They grab onto it. How much of this is... is Real, uh, I you know I was in church and we were in the midst when this guy came in. And he was he clearly well. I came to church because my marriage he is in trouble and blah blah blah. He, he wasn't really committed to Christ. He thought that he could go do this and this would help. You know, like the twelve step program. They, they, they're not interested in Jesus. They're interested in getting off booze. Right. So you know. He, do you really have a feeling that there are really genuine conversions, or are these just look? This will help me. This will, this will help me yeah. out. Like the, it's kind of like the social gospel. I, I think this room wouldn't be full if there wasn't uh, true conversions, and and I think everybody has a different story. I think um, you know, with the limited amount of access I've had to people like that need, there there really are true conversions out there. Um, I think when we serve, I don't think we need to serve with the idea that my purpose is to create this true cons- conversion. Because if I'm a representative of Christ, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to let His word go forth and do the work. Um, I always, always, I always believe from the beginning that 
if if I wasn't in the situation I was in, the rocks around me would have started screaming at me. You know, so I think I think that's where we have to rely and trust in God and, and this type of ministry and, and work um, is because, like like Posey said, uh, we make mistakes and we get scammed and but that's not my job. Well, my you job, can go through. You you can go through. Worry about it. You can go through the churches in this town, and, and where these people are all jazzed up. So the real big churches, and if you sit down and analyze what what these people were, were really all about, you find that 80 90 percent of them is not real with them. And, and what I was looking for is is so you have these successful, wealthy people going to church to feel better and to deal with you know their money problems. They're very you know they, the social gospel. And I, what I'm looking for is, are you getting more people than, say, these, you know, these phony churches? I, I, I guess that's kind of I think something that a good reminder is you look at the parable of the, the, of the um, Good Samaritan. And the, the thing that set off the Samaritan from the other people that walked past the guy laying on the side of the road is compassion. And that's what we're called to have. <clears throat> and he didn't ask, you know, <clears throat> did you do something to, you know, get in this situation where you got mugged? Were you running with the wrong crowd? And that's why you're laying on the side of the road. Um, you know, we're told that he was moved with compassion. And that's what differentiated him from others. And I think that, um, I think I can speak for all of us. That's what has motivated us is that, you know, we see the compassion God has shown us. And, you know, that is... We don't know, you know, if our labor will be fruitful, you know, in this life, but we do know that our efforts will be fruitful in eternity because they're done for Christ. So, Michelle, yeah. Yeah, just practically. So, you both mentioned mentoring. So, like, what does that look like? Is there room there for, you need that for women and men, more men, like, what kind of commitment is that like? Uh, At the rescue mission, there are women who mentor women. Obviously, we don't we don't mix sexes, and so uh, there's a place for mentoring the women. There's a place for mentoring the men. It requires a commitment of about an hour a week uh, per person, and um, you know, over a period of time, you can do start with you know. I'd encourage anyone who's interested, you know, come talk with me. I can prepare you for what you're going to see, what, what you're going to encounter, how to approach it, um, and, um, and then just mentor one person and let, you know, see how that works. And if it's something that you, you start seeing, uh, uh, getting some traction with it personally, that I'd encourage you to increase the, the number. And, you know, that's what's happened with me. And it, it, um, quite frankly, I'd rather go home and ment or, or go mentor, uh, people then go home and watch TV so it it uh, they become a great part of your life I I would also just encourage people I mean, one of the best things you can do obviously you should look for opportunities to be involved in loving people around you whatever that looks like but you can pray for ministries like these like they sure. we need your prayer um, you know with the health clinic it's there's some opportunity for volunteer but because you know, it's medical providers. You, we need to pray for doctors, for Christian doctors that want to serve in that type of a clinic and to have a heart for that mission. 
and things like that. Um, so I would just encourage you to, to pray, for, pray for that. I, I think one thing, you know, when we're looking at stuff, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I photographed downtown Los Angeles for over 30 years. And when I started photographing it down there, uh, it, was, it was a very dangerous place. But if you go downtown Los Angeles now, for example, there's a weird phenomenon going on. There's like wealthy people, the builders, developers, and in the middle of that, you can actually go on YouTube if you don't want to go down there. It is an amazing site. There's not just the issue of drug addiction and stuff. When the average rent in Los Angeles is $2,000 for a one-bedroom apartment, the proudest downtown Los Angeles is not a mixture of what was before and now. And what I would encourage people to do, what you're talking about, what you guys have said, uh, we should, we should, maybe should go and walk in an area don't make a commitment. Go see what it feels like, either here in Vegas or whatever, or to a ministry. Just go and see what the heart says about being there, and then you'll get a feeling yourself. And you don't, you know, the Lord will speak to your heart. Twice a year, I the county, our county contacts me and asks for volunteers. They go do this from midnight to 4 a.m. in a group of five people, and they do a count because they figure that's Sometimes. the best way to get an accurate count. People are in the tents. Well, we're out of time, so Greg, would you close us in prayer? Sure. Father, we thank you for your love and seeking all of us. We thank you for just the, the beauty of the gospel and how it interacts with our lives and how you... Uh, change things and move things all around us and we pray for the city of las vegas and and the many needs that are there and the people and the situations they are in and um, we know that you've called us to be your hands and to um, preach them the, the word and to serve them and to care for them and it, you call us and, and bring us to you in many many different ways and we just ask that you bless the work of Spring Meadows and the people who are working in Spring Meadows and the various ministries and all that they do, and that you would yeah, give them wisdom and guide them, give them joy and peace and understanding to, to your work. And uh, our plan is not yours. Your plan is perfect, and uh, we will rest in that. We will trust in that, and we will look to you. And we ask that uh, you would hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Thank you.